Would you now join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for bringing us together this Christmas Eve to give you our voices and our hearts in worship. And Lord, we are very aware during this time of the year of the many demands that we have on our time and our energy. Even as we enjoy a bit of a break with our loved ones, we could easily slip into a hurried and anxious mindset. We pray that you would help us to slow down and to take moments to listen to your spirit. We ask for your spirit's wisdom and his joy as we spend our time this Christmas. May all the merrymaking that we do point us to the true source of everlasting joy. Lord, we pray for your help for those of us who are weary in spirit or sick in our bodies. God, give us healing, give us strength and the endurance to wait upon you, Lord. We ask for your care for those who are grieving during this season, that you would pour out your love into their hearts as they sit in the darkness. May your light shine brighter for them. And we pray for those who are harmed and torn apart by war around our world. Lord, we know that you have a special concern for the displaced, for the widowed, and the orphaned in this world, those who have been brought low in every way. We do ask for an end to the hostilities all around the world, in Ukraine, and in Palestine, and in Israel. We pray for the world leaders and all those with power who will one day stand before your throne, that they would make decisions for peace and the valuing of life. And here on this side of the world, Lord, we ask that you would empower us to be your hands and feet of grace, to bring the good news of Jesus' upside-down kingdom to the neighbors we encounter every day. God, we thank you so much for loving us in this way, for coming down to our level to save us. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we want to continue our worship um, and give thanks to the Lord through our regular weekly offering. If you are just visiting us today or just checking things out, we encourage you to just enjoy our time together and not participate um, in this time um, or don't feel obligated to. And for those of us who are regulars and would like to give, you can text the word GIVE to the PBCC number that you see or give online through our website. And of course, you're welcome to put an offering in the box at the back before you leave today. And now, in lieu of our regular scripture reading, we will be watching a video clip from the animated musical The Promise, as we did last week. And today's clip will show us the scene that Eugene will be preaching from, um, taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38, called Simeon's Song of Blessing. He is your firstborn. His name is Jesus. 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 Now your servant can depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Prepared in the presence of all peoples, a 
nation to all the nations and glory to Israel. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in But my dear, I fear a sword will pierce right through your soul, so that the hearts of men will be exposed. Messiah has arrived, amen? It's good to see you all today, this Christmas Eve morning. As we begin our sermon, I'd, I have something else I'd like to show you, and it's right here in my hand. Some of you may recognize what this is. Some of you might not actually know what this is. This is a sand timer. As you can see, there are two glass bulbs, in case you don't know how these things work, right? There's two glass bulbs, one on top and one on the bottom, and they're connected by a thin glass neck. And if you look really closely, at the bottom bulb, it, you have a sm specific amount of blue-colored sand. Now that amount of sand never changes, it's stuck inside there, and if I were to flip this sand timer over, that sand would travel from one bulb into the next. And because it always takes the same amount of time for that sand to go from one bulb to the next, you can use it to time things. Now I know exactly how much time this specific sand timer takes to have all the sand down here to go into the next bulb but I'm not gonna tell you how much time that is until after we've actually watched it. That's right, we're gonna spend our morning watching a sand timer. So get comfortable, ease in. I'm gonna put it here where a camera can catch it, and in a moment I'm gonna flip it over, so make sure that you can see this on the screen or from where you're seated, and we are going to watch the sand go from one bulb to the other. Okay, riveting, I know. Sound good? Probably not, that's all right. We're gonna do it anyway. All right, ready? Three, two, one. It's going, it's going. The sand is going down. Feels like there's more sand in there. I don't, I don't know how that happened. Tight. Oh, oh, oh! Almost and oh my goodness! 
All right, yeah, let's give a round of applause to the sand timer. We made it, brothers and sisters. That was one minute. The Christmas colored ones were like three and five. So thank God I didn't buy those ones instead. <laughs> brothers and sisters, what did you feel as you watched that sand timer? What did you feel? Did you feel bored? Yes, great. Okay, bored, that's one. Perfect, all right, excellent. Bored, anticipation. Anyone else wanna just throw it out here? Any other feelings that come up? What did you notice in your body, in your, in your stomach, or in your head? This is so boring, my own son, okay. This is so crazy. Awkward. Very awkward. Anyone feel maybe even a little bit angry? A little bit like, why are we doing this? Who is this guy? Who hired him? <laughs> one more question, one more question. I'm sure there's lots of things that we felt, but I just wanna ask, have you ever, and this is something for you just to chew on, to think about, have you ever felt those feelings before? Have you ever felt that combination of feelings before? Yes. Right? Of course you have, and that's because we've all experienced what it's like to wait for something, haven't we? I mean, haven't we all been waiting for Christmas after all? And we still have one more day to wait. And so I wanna ask you to think about this and reflect on this with me. What has it been like for you to wait for tomorrow? What feelings have you felt over the past few weeks? How did you pass the time? Did you try to distract yourself? Did you try to forget? Did you try to measure out the waiting with an advent calendar? Did you try to get ahead of Christmas to get everything in order and get everything under control? Get all the presents bought and wrapped and placed under the tree? How did you spend your time waiting? How did you wait? Well, I don't think I need to tell you that waiting isn't easy. And yet an important part of the Christian life is waiting. Not just for Christmas, but for all the promises of God that Christmas guarantees. As we turn to the end of the second chapter of Luke's gospel, we meet a group of people who knew what it meant to wait in hope for God's promises. Luke sets the scene for us at the temple in Jerusalem 40 days after Jesus was born. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem, and the him being Jesus. They took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Jesus' parents came to the temple in order to offer a sacrifice of birds as commanded by the law of Moses for the birth of their son. This shows us two things about Joseph and Mary. First, that they were faithful followers of God who trusted him and obeyed his laws. Second, it shows that they didn't have a lot of money. In situations like theirs, the law of Moses actually required that a lamb be given for the offering Birds were acceptable, but only if that was all the people giving the offering could afford. Apparently, this exception applied to Joseph and Mary. 
Now, to be sure, God was perfectly pleased with the birds Joseph and Mary offered. He could see through their offering and their poverty to their hearts. But as humans, we might have a harder time doing that. It's hard for us not to decide how we feel about people based on their appearance. Which raises the question, what might Jesus and his family have looked like had they been around today? One of my favorite contemporary artists, Kelly Lattimore, helps us imagine the Holy Family's appearance in more modern terms. Had Jesus been born today and in a place like the Bay Area, he and his family would have probably looked something like this. Nowhere near upper class, maybe not even middle, probably moving from one apartment to the next, whether or not an angel told them to. When carpentry work slowed down for Joseph, maybe they'd have had trouble making rent. And maybe they'd have had to live, at least for a time, in one of the tent cities in downtown San Jose, sitting on milk crates under an overpass and just trying to stay warm. Like many of the unhoused in the South Bay, the Holy Family would have been practically invisible to most people had God chosen to incarnate here and now. And what people did see of them might not have been very attractive to most, but not to all. There are some who can see more of what God sees. There was someone like that at the Jerusalem temple when the Holy Family arrived to give their offering. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. As with the Holy Family, Luke reveals to us two things about Simeon. First, Simeon was righteous and devout. In other words, he loved, trusted, and obeyed God. And one of the clearest ways he expressed his love, trust, and obedience was in waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does this mean? The consolation of Israel really just means the rescuing of God's people. Long before Simeon was born, God had promised his people that he would rescue them not only from their human enemies, but more importantly, from their spiritual enemy, their own sinfulness. God promised through prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that he would forgive his people of their sins and that he would give them new hearts filled with the Holy Spirit. And he promised that this would lead to a total transformation of not only their lives, but of the entire world. The end of suffering the end of injustice, the end of violence, and the beginning of a whole new world. Simeon believed these promises, and he showed his faith by waiting for God to launch his rescue plan. And the first step of that rescue plan was to send the Messiah, a king chosen by God who would fulfill his promises. Simeon was waiting for this Messiah. This is the first thing we learn about him. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with his people. God was near to Simeon, deepening his hope in his promises and encouraging him to not give up waiting. The Holy Spirit even gave Simeon a promise just for him. Simeon would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now this was a promise God had made specifically to Simeon, 
But anyone who has a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit knows that it is not uncommon for him to give people thoughts, feelings, reminders of truth, images and impressions, and yes, even unique, personal promises. The Holy Spirit shares God's heart with us, with us on an individual level. And if we learn the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit and our voices and the voices of those around us, we can go through life with God as a companion. The Holy Spirit was Simeon's companion. And one day, the Holy Spirit gave Simeon the idea to go to the temple because it was time for his promise to be fulfilled. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's song can be summarized in one word. Finally, Simeon had been waiting to see the Messiah, and it sounds like Simeon had been waiting for a long time, long enough that when he finally saw Jesus, he told God he was ready to die. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss, in other words, you can unalive your servant in peace. Simeon also sang about what Jesus' arrival would mean for the world, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon imagined the world as a dark place. It doesn't take much imagination to do so. Jesus, though, would be like a light that shines for people who had never known God to finally get to see him clearly. And Simeon pictured God's first people, the Jews, glorying in, believing in, and celebrating Jesus, the light of the world. Simeon had been waiting for Jesus, and now his wait had finally ended. Finally, the Messiah has arrived. Now, brothers and sisters, let's remember what Simeon was looking at when he saw Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Let's remember what they would have looked like to everyone else around them that day in Jerusalem. What did Simeon see in Jesus that day, despite his appearance? What did Simeon see in the face of this six-week-old baby? Kelly Lattimore helps us once again. This is Lattimore's depiction of Jesus in his true glory seated on the throne of heaven, surrounded by angels worshiping and serving him. Jesus' glory was not hidden to Simeon. Simeon saw past his appearance to the promises of God that Jesus would fulfill as the Messiah. How was Simeon able to see so clearly? The Holy Spirit. Simeon saw with spiritual eyes. Simeon recognized the Messiah with eyes made clear by the Holy Spirit dwelling in his heart. And Simeon wasn't the only one with spiritual sight that day. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. 
As with Simeon, Luke tells us a couple things about Anna. First, like the Holy Family, Anna was likely very poor. She had spent many decades as a widow in a society where widows couldn't own property or wealth and were forced to rely on others for support. The second thing we see about Anna is that, just like Simeon, she spent her days waiting on God. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She, too, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it seems that the Holy Spirit moved her to approach Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, just as Simeon was speaking with them. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon celebrated Jesus' arrival by singing. Anna celebrated by sharing with others the good news that the Messiah had finally arrived. And it's here that Luke's camera zooms out to reveal a whole community of people waiting in hope for God's promises, a small but faithful community filled with the Holy Spirit, looking at Jesus with spiritual vision, imagining all the promises of God that would be fulfilled through this six-week-old baby. But amid all the singing and sharing, there was also a challenge, and it was directed at Mary. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon told Mary that Jesus would be like a signpost on the road of life that would show people where they were headed, whether towards God or away from him, whether towards salvation or towards destruction. And their direction depended on what they saw when they looked at Jesus. Depending on how they saw Jesus, people would rise or fall before God, including Mary the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, Simeon told her, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now this saying sounds similar to another passage involving a double-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. According to the author of Hebrews, the word of God is like a sword that cuts through lies and deception and reveals what we really believe about ourselves, about the world, and about God. Simeon seems to be saying that Jesus will also reveal Mary's beliefs about herself, the world, and God. Mary will also have to decide what she sees in Jesus. A sword will pierce your own soul too. What will you decide? Will you see Jesus with spiritual eyes? Will you trust him and wait for him to fulfill the promises of God? Even though Mary was a faithful follower of God, she would have to continue believing in her son. I believe this was Simeon's challenge to Mary, and I believe this is what the Holy Spirit is asking of us today. Will we trust Jesus and wait for him to fulfill all God's promises. But Eugene, 
Didn't Jesus already do it all? Didn't he already save us from our sins? Haven't we already been rescued? What do we have to wait for? So, so much, brothers and sisters. We have so much to wait for. There are still promises left for Jesus to fulfill. One look at the world today is all we need to know that the bulk of God's promises are still unfulfilled, that God's rescue plan has already begun but is not yet finished. But Eugene, didn't Jesus say it is finished when he died on the cross? Yes, he did. But I think of it a bit like when we bake a loaf of my mom's zucchini bread. I know she's watching. Hi, mom. <laughs> Once we've sliced up the zucchini and measured out the ingredients and combined them together into a batter, poured that batter into a baking pan, preheated the oven, and then put the pan in the oven, all there is left for us to do is to wait. The work that we need to do is finished. The zucchini bread is as good as baked but we cannot enjoy the results unless we're willing to wait as heat and time do their work. He's probably wondering why this guy's yelling on stage. I, I'm sorry, Joseph. <laughs> in, a similar way, in a similar way, when Jesus came to us the first time, he did the necessary work that guaranteed that all Jesus' promises would one day be fulfilled. He lived a perfect life and died for our sins. He was buried in a tomb but rose to life again. He ascended to the right hand of God in heaven and promised to return to do everything else that had been foretold about him. And we will experience the results of all his work if we're willing to wait as the Holy Spirit does his work. So brothers and sisters, we come back to the big question. What do you see in the face of Jesus Christ? What do you see in the little Lord Jesus, away in a manger or under an overpass, no crib for a bed? Do you see what Simeon, Anna, and the others that day saw? Do you see what Mary saw and sang about? Jesus scattering the proud, bringing down rulers from their thrones, lifting up the humble, filling the hungry with good things, and sending the rich away empty. Do you see what Zechariah saw and sing about? Jesus raising up a horn of salvation for us, rescuing us from the hand of our enemies, enabling us to serve him without fear, giving us the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. Do you see what the angels appearing to the shepherds saw and sang about? Jesus bringing peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. When you look at the face of Jesus this Christmas, do you see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returning at the second advent to fulfill all God's promises? Do you see Jesus at the second coming, not bearing a cross, but wearing a crown, returning to finish the great reversal he began 2,000 years ago? And does what we see in Jesus bring us relief? Do our hearts sing, finally, all we have waited for, all we are waiting for, all that is worth waiting for, it is all in you, Jesus. Do our hearts cry with Augustine's, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Brothers and sisters, what are you waiting for this Christmas? Is it a present under the tree?
What are you waiting for in life? Is it a test score or an acceptance letter? Is it a friendship or a romance? Is it an opportunity, a change in your situation, a new job, a new city, a new vision, a new dream? Whatever your answer may be, I'm not here to tell you it's wrong to want those things. I'm here simply to remind you and to remind myself that there is something even better. We are here to look at this little group of people who decided not to wait for money, not to wait for careers, not to wait for relationships, not to spend their days and weeks and months and years and decades waiting only for things that are merely good. No, they decided to wait for the best for the promises of God to be fulfilled by Jesus. And just one look at his six-week-old face was enough for them to know that their waiting was not a waste, that their waiting was worthwhile. Brothers and sisters, these first believers and the rest of the early church was united in this hope. They were defined by their willingness to wait in hope for Jesus to return. As the Apostle Paul put it in his letter to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, Simeon, Anna, and the others at the temple that day, they are our forefathers and foremothers. We are them and they are us a people waiting in hope for God's promises to be fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. But waiting is not easy. This is one of our favorite books in the Kwan household. <laughs> waiting is Not Easy by Mo Willems. It's part of his Elephant and Piggy series. In this installment of the series, Elephant's best friend Piggy offers Elephant the promise of a surprise. Elephant is happy at first because who wouldn't be happy to hear about a surprise from their best friend? But Elephant's happiness quickly turns to disappointment when Piggy explains that they will have to wait. This is the face of any person who has been told they have to wait for something good. <laughs> I know it very well, I'm sure we all do. This is the existential crisis settling in on, on us as we realize what's ahead of us. And I'm sure we can all relate to Elephant's reaction. Groan, said Elephant bowling Piggy over with his feelings. And it's not at all surprising when Elephant's feelings turn from disappointment to frustration and even anger. We've all felt that happen to us too, haven't we? We can wait for a time, but sooner or later we get tired of waiting. We start wondering if there are other things we should be doing with our time, our energy, our resources. Waiting for something sometimes means saying no to other things, missing other opportunities, missing out on what other people are enjoying or achieving. And the feeling of missing out makes us angry. And we question if what we're waiting for really is worth waiting for. 
Waiting is not easy. We tend to think of waiting as passive, but anyone who's ever truly committed to waiting for something knows it is hard work that requires intentionality and perseverance and self-control, especially when what we're waiting for is more than just good especially when what we're waiting for is necessary, when it's needed, when it's missing but shouldn't be missing. Waiting for love, waiting for peace, waiting for joy and for rest, waiting for change, change in ourselves, change in our communities, change in our families, change in our country, change in our world, waiting for things to get better, for violence to stop and for justice to prevail, for suffering to end and for shalom to begin, for the proud to be humbled and the hungry to be filled and the poor to be lifted up and the rich and the powerful to be brought low, waiting for the promises of God, for the great reversal is not easy because we need it. And despite the time that's passed, all we see with our eyes is that the rich are still rich and the poor are still poor. The powerful are still powerful and the vulnerable are still vulnerable and the proud are still proud, the violent still violent, the unjust still unjust and the last, the least and the lost are still last, least and lost. And we lament with Langston Hughes, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you? For the world to become good and beautiful and kind, let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. How do we keep waiting for promises that don't seem close to being fulfilled? How did Simeon and Anna and those in the temple that day keep waiting? The Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual eyes. We need the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts and to see his reality, his work in this world and the trustworthiness of God's promises. We need the Holy Spirit to grow in us a hunger for the world to come, a world there, where there is neither sickness nor death, neither upper class nor lower class, neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Gentile, but Christ is all and in all forever and ever and ever, world without end. We need the Holy Spirit to give us hope for this world to come and to remind us of our hope again and again and again so that we do not give up waiting for it. And the good news of Christmas is that what we need from God, we can ask of him. No Santa's required. And God will surely give it to us. We can ask God to pour out the Holy Spirit on us to see Jesus more clearly, and he will do it. Like a good father giving their children good gifts, God will give the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who ask of him. And by the Holy Spirit, we will see Jesus more clearly and wait for him to fulfill all God's promises. But maybe some of us aren't interested in waiting. Maybe some of us aren't waiting for the world to come. And maybe we aren't because we are comfortable with the world as it is. And maybe we are comfortable with it because we have benefited from it and we don't want anything to be reversed. I look at myself 
I wake up in the morning and my decision play out something like this. It's not a matter of will I have clothes to wear, it's what clothes do I wear? Which ones? It's not a matter of will I eat today, it's a question of which country's food will I eat today? It's not will I be able to get to work, will I be able to see my friends? It's when and how and how many people can I fit into my schedule? When the great reversal comes, will I be the rich that's brought low? I think so. I need to prepare for that. I need to get ready for that. Because on the other side of the reversal is the release. On the other side of the reversal is the new creation, is a new reality to come, something better than anything that I've stockpiled on this world can be. When the great reversal comes, will we be caught into it? Maybe we're afraid of that. Maybe we have built our castles and our kingdoms here in this upside down world and in doing so robbed ourselves of the desire for a better world to come. If this is us this morning, then may Christmas be a wake up call that rouses us out of our worldliness, that wakes us out of our short sightedness. May every light we've hung with, shine with the light of Jesus into our spiritual darkness. May the jingling of bells be like alarms ringing us to wakefulness for the second coming of our King. And may we all, may we all, may we all receive among all the gifts wrapped up and stashed under our trees the gift of spiritual sight. The gift of spiritual sight. The spiritual sight of Simeon and Anna and of all the little people waiting for the salvation of God. May the Holy Spirit open all our eyes to see God's promises fulfilled and our hopes realized in Jesus. May our days be merry and bright. And may all our Christmases subvert this world as we wait for in hope for the world to come. Now receive this word of benediction. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. May it teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. May it teach us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.